Welcome to episode four of Stories of Strange Women. We're your host. I'm Tracy Hurley Martin. And I'm Tanya Hurley. And today's guest is Evan Michelson. And we've known Evan for quite a few years Years. now. Mm -hmm. She was the star of TV's Oddities that aired on the Science Channel. She's also a co-owner of Obscura Antiques that's in the East Village, and I believe it's over 20 years old. And Evan is a collector, a curator, a lecturer, and a flea market maven. Yeah, speaking of that, I uh, when I went to Brimfield a few years ago, Brimfield is the big flea market in Massachusetts where every collector, every flea market fiend is is there. Um, and Evan, <laughs> Evan was there, did the crack of dawn before anybody else on her bike, you know, blonde curls whipping in the wind. And she was wearing a Poe shirt, Edgar Allan Poe, and she just, she was getting down to business before anybody else. She gets there days before anybody else, and she's up there, up in the morning, wheeling and dealing before anybody else. And it's good to see, you know, it's a, it's really a man's world, collecting and, mm-hmm. and uh, curiosities and oddities and things like that. But, um, but she, she is definitely at the forefront. Yeah, she's one of the few females that are... um, She had a big bruise on her hip. Like, she was, like, raw, you know, yeah, out there. It was was amazing to see her. Yeah, and speaking of being one of the few females at the forefront of collecting, she also was one of the, I, I think, few females at the time oddities came out, you know, of being a woman in her 40s. Have, getting a TV show. Right. She started out in TV in her 40s. Um, yeah, which is virtually unheard of, I right. think. Especially for reality TV. Yeah, and she goes in, in into it in the interview of how with how difficult it was and the upfronts and, and things like that. But she, making it in her 40s also afforded her a lot of freedom, too, to kind of be who she was and... And that, but there, there are some some things that are happening for women in yeah. In I mean, it's, now it's that, starting to. I mean, they were, we're start, at least in the writing, in the creating. Yeah, there's a. I think a real shift is happening. I mean, as far as what I see, obviously, I, I you know, it's not big enough. I don't think, but it's starting to happen. I mean, women as storytellers. Meryl Streep, mm-hmm. I think, is one of the people spearheading um, women storytellers and initiatives. Yeah, with that fellowship she has of yeah. women New over York. 40. You have to be over 40 to enter. Yeah, you can't be under 40. A um, script. Yeah, yeah and it's, uh, it, it, it's run through the New York Women in Film and Television, and it's called the Iris Retreat. Sundance has a few initiatives. So, yeah, I mean, things, things are happening. There are a few fellowships out there. Yeah, and I think, you know, with um, Wonder Woman happening yeah. um, now with the female director, Patty Jenkins, mm-hmm. um, congratulations on those box office numbers. Yeah. <laughs> I did see it. It's it's good. Yeah, You know, it's great. It really was moving to see a woman in those fight scenes yeah. and for a change. And I, and I went with my husband, and he had a different opinion of it. Hmm. And I said, I, probably because you're so used to seeing a man in that role. Mm-hmm. And it was powerful to see a woman in that role for me. And I, I actually cried a few times because it really it was overwhelming for me. I loved it. But so we're out there, and we have shit to say. <laughs> we're over 40. Yeah, here we are. So um, anyway, we're going to get right to the interview because Evan has uh, lots of great stories and lots of experience in this so ladies and gentlemen evan michelson hi we're here with our guest evan michelson who is a collector what would you classify yourself you're an artist as well in my opinion thank you um i'm an antiques dealer collector writer lecturer you're a curator, too. Curator. Right? Life curator. Yeah, life curator. Mm-hmm. That's why I see I like you that. as an artist. Thank you. Yeah, because um, you are very, you have a very distinct sensibility mm-hmm. um, in your collection, in your home. I was lucky enough to mm-hmm. visit God. your home. Yeah. That was a while ago. Yeah, that was a while it's ago. It's changed. You guys have to come are back. Are you constantly... Are you inviting all the listeners? <laughs> <laughs> oh, Everyone in this room has an invitation. <laughs> Physically in this room or Physically in this room. Uh, but you do have a whole collection of varied things. What what yes. what draws you to collect certain things? Uh, like hair works and your 
female mannequins mm -hmm. and things like that. Well, when you say it like that, it sounds kind of creepy. Hair work when you say it and out the loud. wax ladies that <laughs> populate your home. First of all, though, about the artist thing, I'm not a maker, so... But does, I, do you need to be a maker to be to an be artist? To be an artist? I think so. No. I, it's the way you present certain objects to the world. Thank you. I guess it all depends how you define it. Yeah. But I would never take that away because I, mm -hmm. I wish I was a maker, and I'm not. But, but you take I curate things that have been made, made and you curate. And I give yeah. them other lives and pass yeah, I mean, them on to other... Yeah, I mean, when you see an item on its own... It doesn't really have the impact. Right, it yes. When you... Yes, I'm, I could... Yeah, assemblage artist works. It's like a canvas. For, for money. It's like a, you're assembling oh. things on a canvas. Yes. My home is yes. one big shadow box that I live in. Yeah. It's the world that I create and I inhabit. Walking into your yeah. home is like walking into the past, into, into a world that exists in your... I guess in your mind, right? Yep. That it, is... And, and it, it's there from birth... What you see mm. has always been there, oh. and I'm getting very close to achieving that weird, indelible world that I was absolutely born with inside my head, especially the library. Yeah. That is like I'm almost there, and I'm happy as a little pearl on a clam. So are you constantly on the lookout for things that trigger something yes. in your mind? Trigger's the right word. So... It, Antique dealers call it the eye. Artists probably call it the eye, too. So you, you have an eye. And I was I just got back from Brimfield where I was discussing this with uh, a bunch of people I've known for decades who are also in the business. And you just have this eye. You have this internal sense of beauty, and something just locks into it, and it just sings, and you just know it. It can be sitting on a pile of junk. It can be buried in someone's closet. It can be on display in a gallery, although it usually isn't. And when it locks into that sense that it, it triggers, it just sparkles in that way. And it's, it's, like a just, drug. it's just right. It, it's like yeah. a puzzle piece just mm -hmm. clicking right into your brain. And that's your eye, and it's infallible. When you have an eye, it's infallible, and it's not something you can be taught. Like You have to learn about things. You have to learn the history of things. And you have to learn the business. But the eye is something you're born with. And that's how I relate to people. I relate to them through their eye. I know them through their eye. It's slightly dysfunctional. Yeah. But you know, know what I mean? Yeah. I, if I know your eye, I know you. Mm -hmm. I feel. Could be wrong about that. Mm. It's a really interesting thing. It's a, yeah, I mean, you don't, and you necessarily don't go after the things that, I mean, having a business, you, mm -hmm. you are co-owner of Obscura. Yes. And you were... You were the um, you were one of the stars of the show Oddities on yes. the Science Channel, mm -hmm. um, which I'm very interested in how you felt being in front of the camera mm -hmm. um, because knowing you, it's how many um, hours? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> do you have to discuss that? So maybe you could tell us a little bit about the show and um, what it was like being on the show because you were a collector before the show, correct? I was doing all this well before television. Television just happened accidentally, so. The short stories, Mike and I were minding our own business. Um, and Mike Zone is... Mike, Mike Zone, Zone is my business partner, my current business partner. There was a gentleman named Adrian Gilbo started a shop in the East Village. And that guy had the best eye of anyone I've ever met. Mm -hmm. Very, very attuned to eclectic objects and esoteric objects and exotic objects. Or objects that we consider exotic. Um, particularly Chinese objects and Tibetan objects. And he had the, the best eye of anyone I've ever met. He opened this little shop. I met him in the early 90s. And that was back in the East Village when you could actually pay rent on a space and start your own I business. I remember which, it well. Yeah, that hasn't been the case in a very, very long time. Yeah. Uh, but that's what made New York, New York. And that's what made the East Village, East Village. And um, I became his... Uh, I, I moved into that space with him. And then Mike moved in about a year after that. So you, you and Mike went into... So, yes, we found ourselves co-owners of a business in the East Village. And um, one day these people came into the shop and said, could you do a 10-minute taping with us, just talk? Oh, they just walked in off they the street? They just walked in off the street. We didn't know who they were. Wow. And they said, just talk to us for 10 minutes. Um... We're going to do this reality show, and um, 
you seem interesting and your business seems interesting. So we talked to them for 10 minutes and um, that was that. And then they said, well, we're looking at a bunch of people for this show about collectors and it's on the science channel. So it is a science bent and uh, we'll get, we'll back, we'll get back to you. We'll let you know. We had no agent. We didn't pitch anything. There was, mm-hmm. We knew nothing about the process. And, and how long had you been open? Um, well, that was in 2010. Oh, so a while. Yeah. Yeah. 20 years. Two, uh, well, two, yeah, basically since 94, 95. Mm-hmm. That Mike, Mike and I, I think, became business partners in 96. Okay. So, yeah. 14, yeah. That's a long time. Mm-hmm. And, and so, so they said, well, we'll get back to you. And they'd call and say, well, there are 10 people on the list. Now there are five people. Now there are two people. Oh, you have a show. Oh. L- like, that's the way it went. So, so did they start out wanting to do a whole bunch of different collectors? And then they decided that just you were the show? You no, guys? No, they wanted to do, I think, a buy and sell reality show. was okay. like what was happening on TV in mm-hmm. those distant days of 2010. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and they wanted it to be science-based. So they found a bunch of people with, like, geeky mm-hmm. businesses and personalities that they thought would lend themselves to reality TV. Mm-hmm. So that it was a purely random. We didn't do anything to get it. And then when we got it, I was like, I don't want to be on TV. Yeah. Mike is an extrovert. I'm an introvert. He wanted to be on TV. I was like, I'm, I don't want to be on TV. So um, I was kind of hoping we wouldn't get it, but we got it. And then when we got it, I was kind of hoping it didn't, wouldn't work, and it worked. So maybe that's the key. Yeah, yeah. And I'm like, all you people wanting shows out there. Yeah, and I'm I'm an old punk, so I was like, no one's gonna tell me what to say. Mm -hmm. I don't like reality TV. It's bullshit. You know. So I get through a lot of attitude, Mm -hmm. and uh, ultimately that worked. You know, I think it. I think that was a recipe for success. It took a lot of struggle to get there with the medium, Mm -hmm. but. Honestly, they, they came to us because they liked what we were doing, and we just continued to do it on camera mm-hmm. in, in a highly edited way. Yeah. And so, so it was like it, it, this great success, and it, it didn't even, it's such a weird experience because it sort of went straight on the air. There wasn't really development. It went straight on the air, and it was immediately popular, just took off out instantly. Out of the gate. Out of the gate. Wow. Won the race. For years. So you did not want to be on television. I did not want to be. I, I'm an introvert. I don't like attention. Right. I, I, I've been that way all my life. Have you watched the show? Have you watched, I watched yourself? I watched the early episodes and it's a horror. I can imagine. It's a bloody like, horror. I mean, not that you it's, were a horror on it, but I can see as an you know an introvert seeing yourself yeah. on television talking and... It's... I can't even it's begin. It's It's not like watching yourself in a video, watching yourself on TV. It's... Yeah. It's a whole different... I don't even like pictures. It's out there in the public. And that was like early... That was that was like HD. There was HD mm-hmm. at that time. We were broadcasting HD. Wow. And and I don't... I didn't recognize that. That woman was like... I, I was being natural on camera. Mm-hmm. But I, I sort of edited my language. Mm-hmm. I tend to curse a lot. And, you know, yeah. I was being a bit, a bit more proper mm-hmm. and a bit low-key on camera. But I wasn't reading lines or doing anything different than what I usually do. Mm-hmm. But I did not recognize that woman. It was yeah. like someone... Mm-hmm. It's very, very weird. Maybe you were just disassociating yourself so you, you could have to. keep going I can't, and survive. Yeah, you know? I can't describe the process of celebrity to anyone who hasn't been through it. You can't understand that really weird pressure until it happens to you. Mm-hmm. But it's incredibly destructive. And I, I'm very lucky that I didn't want what they were selling i'm very lucky that i didn't want to be a media personality and because it would have exploded yeah like it it would ruin you you get a taste of something and i was incredibly lucky that i distanced myself from it Mm -hmm. but even though i was distancing myself from it it's this really like you have everyone's attention all the time people want to be near you with you because there's some thing they want a piece of and you don't know what that is Mm -hmm. they perceive you in a way that is exterior to who you are and so your entire reality becomes surreal everywhere you go everyone knows your name everyone they touch Mm -hmm. you yeah sometimes they cry and you appreciate their 
you appreciate the love, but it's also very weird mm -hmm. because everything, fame and celebrities, external. You know, mm -hmm. it's all surface. So who you are hasn't changed, but your world has changed entirely. It's very, How, very the weird. The perception of, your, of yeah, who you are. Yeah, the perception. It's very, very strange, and it's very disorienting. And if you're not grounded, it'll kill you. So I got, like, a newfound respect for actors and actresses and people mm -hmm. in the media, particularly women, yeah. on whom this is really, really tough. Because it's very feel? based on appearance and all Yeah, that. how did you feel as a woman? I mean, were you scrutinized? Were you... Did they did they say... for? Did they suggest changes? Well, I had to uh, wear the same dress every day. <clears throat> so a friend of mine in the East Village, Jill Anderson, my favorite designer, she made two dresses. And every season, I could only wear those two dresses for continuity. Mm. So the woman on TV is also wearing a uniform. Now, luckily, it was a black dress like mm -hmm. what I wear. Right. But I, I wore that same thing every day. Could you change your accessories or, um, I mean, did you? Yeah, yeah my earrings. Yeah. And I love Victorian earrings. But, but you could tweak little things, but you couldn't change the outfit. So Is in that the a same way, for the guys? Yes. Okay. Everyone okay. had to wear a Ryan wore a suit. Mike wore this denim sort of shirt. Rolled up was Ryan legs. pretty much cast um, to be on the show because he's not part of it? He's tour. not. He he is it. Well, we've known him. We've known Ryan forever, mm -hmm. um, and he's a friend of ours who we Ryan occasionally Matthew do business Cone. with. So yeah, mm -hmm. that was kind of emphasized. Okay. okay, but it wasn't like we didn't know him and right, right, like right. it would yeah, yeah. But it wasn't that was. That was, that was the producer's idea. That was to kind of... exaggerated. That relationship was exaggerated. Okay. But um, so it we all back to had to wear the same thing every day. So I didn't. They weren't looking at my clothes. You know. Yeah. It's like when you're wearing a uniform, not looking at your clothes. But here's the best part. I was in my mid forties when it broke. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah, that's pretty awesome timing. Yeah. Because I didn't. I was already sort of verging on middle age. Mm-hmm. Middle-aged women aren't generally given television shows up. Ever. So, and I was <laughs> really ever. happy to represent. Really happy to represent. Because being a middle-aged woman is totally awesome and a lot of fun. Mm -hmm. And and I'm a weird... I'm a weirdo and I don't, I don't have kids and I live in this world of my own making. And I'm introverted. So those are the kind of people you tend not to hear from in the media. So... Yeah. And and you become like this weird sex symbol. Like I would have like my picture would be pinned up in garages. People would tell me like oh. Yeah, like people are sending you poems and they're vowing their eternal love and you're like a pinup. And no one knew how old I was. Okay. I, I didn't pretend I'd to be any age in particular. Mm -hmm. The woman on TV seemed to me kind of ageless or timeless. Mm -hmm. My clothing was sort of the same. And... It was sort of a little bit of 20s, a little bit of 40s. You know, it yeah. was, uh, there's a little Edwardian in there. And the woman I saw on TV didn't strike me as young or old. It was very cool. That yeah. I really like liked. Dorian Being, Gray. I, I was a dorky, geeky, introverted, nerdy woman, middle-aged woman on TV who became like a really improbable sex symbol, which I found mm -hmm. hysterically funny. Yeah. So that was awesome. Yeah. And I'm really happy to represent. And, yeah. you know, because it's women have their youth first and foremost in the media. That's Did you all feel people any want pressure on television? Did the, the, the producers say, you know, something like lighten your hair? Or could you have this great no. hairstyle for the. For no, I did nothing. Okay. They did not they pressure didn't me to do anything. At all. That's great. That yeah, yeah, that that I will give them. Mm -hmm. There there are a whole lot of other bad things that happened around my femalehood, but pressuring me on my appearance. This is my hair. This is how it's mm -hmm. always been. I don't do anything to it. Mm -hmm. And as soon as we got the show, I was like, I'm gonna be good with the hair. Yeah, I can tell that's gonna be successful. Uh huh. Because everybody commented on it in real life anyway. I don't do anything to it. Uh huh. I just got very lucky. So they didn't. Yeah, they didn't dictate what I had to wear other than it had to be black and my makeup a friend of mine taught me how to who does makeup for television taught me how to do makeup I haven't changed it to this day mm -hmm. I didn't wear makeup before I was oh, really? a, bit, a bit of a tomboy oh. I, think I, I, I can't mean, imagine you without red lipstick I'd wear yeah that's yeah. all post oddities oh. that's LA because then we had to do talk shows I discovered red mm-hmm 
And it works. Yeah. But beforehand, I was like, I never did my nails. I mean, I'd wear some makeup, but nothing yeah. like this. Yeah. This is, so I learned, but they, they didn't push me. I could have worn no, no makeup and that would have mm -hmm. been fine. So that was cool. Yeah. But the other thing, they, they weren't okay with the lady talking for, they weren't okay with lady splaining uh, when the show started. So that was a little bit of a problem. Yeah, that was really interesting. What do you What do you mean by that? Like you trying to it know art things? Art. Yeah, <laughs> me trying to know things. You, yeah. yeah. Um, when the we started filming and like the the ads for the show mm -hmm. were like, oh, this is crazy, and it's this guy's business. And it was just Mike, oh. and the opening I was not originally there, and in the first few episodes I'm not really doing much. I was pretty pissed off about that. Yes, I didn't mm -hmm. want to do it, but if I'm on TV, I have to be represented as an autonomous. Yeah. I mean, I, I met... Yeah, I, it, I was in business before I met Mike. I was an antiques dealer before I met Mike. This mm -hmm. is like, so a couple of guys from the production company sat me down, and they said, look, the audience for the show is going to skew young and male because it's about science and geeky stuff, and it makes them uncomfortable for a woman to be in a position of authority. They're like, that's just the reality of it. Mm -hmm. And I was like, well, first of all, this is my world, not yours. Um, half the people who come into Obscure all these years are women, collectors, science geeks. And I was not aware that men didn't want to see women do things. I kind of, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? Yeah. Like I thought men like watching women do things. <laughs> uh -huh. Men are given an authority that women have to earn in just about every aspect of life, business, um, the art world. I just feel. Well, you say you say that you were seen as a sex symbol, and well, I mean, were the were, were the were the guys seen as sex symbols? No, right? I mean, I, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what they were getting, and probably, yeah, I wasn't sexy. Mm -hmm. I well, you have this persona. This you're blonde. You're you know you've got the lipstick. You're you're it, pretty. It doesn't. None of that. I. You don't see yourself. I mm -hmm. don't see myself as sexy. Mm -hmm. I'm a geeky. But like, that's sexy. You know. Thank goodness to a yeah. certain yeah. group of people. But right. I was the most highly unlikely sex symbol you're ever mm -hmm. likely to meet. Mm -hmm. But women are so valued for their appearance and their youth, and so here I was, this like older. Mm -hmm geeky lady and it was still working on that level was very cool but then they were like but you don't have agency the, you know let the guys do the most yeah. of the talking and I I was pretty furious about that and then they said well look you know actually if you want to if you want to be more involved maybe come up with some ideas do some of the writing do get so I actually that was an in to wow, actually that, come up that is but mm, shocking yeah, a lot. If you want to be more involved in your show, right? And something your, that you've been doing, you're right. If you want to be everybody else, if you want to be more involved in your own life, yeah, yeah. How weird is you that? You have to work twice as hard. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, and it, it's not. And wear many hats and make it happen for yourself. And red yeah. lipstick. Yeah. <laughs> and they and they were like, but you're also genuinely weird, and it's a weird energy, and you're awkward. I am awkward. Um, like a lot of nerdy introverts are awkward so um, they said that energy is hard to work with in a scene and I was like but this is about this world of weirdness it's peopled by awkward weirdos that's right. who we actually are and eventually after a lot of going back and forth um, the, the opening of the show turned out okay and the ads turned out okay and I think we reached parity in male and female representation, but it was not easy, and I spent a lot of time fighting with, I don't even know who. The mm -hmm. production company said, this is coming from the network, and the network said, it's coming from the production right. company. yeah. But, you know, the director was awesome. If we'd had a terrible director, I might not have made it through the whole reality TV process, but mm -hmm. he was such a cool guy, and as soon as things were rolling, we were having a good time. But... It was like did you do you did, did you write yourself into certain scenes? I mean, I wrote a few yeah things uh, like not dialogue but just scenarios, mm -hmm. um, ways to interact with people. Mm -hmm. So that was quite that was like 2010. Yeah, how amazing is that? 
Yeah. And it was reality. And how long was the show on the air? It was reality. It was real. It, it was. It was <laughs> well, a reality quote, show unquote. about real people. Mm-hmm. About you. Yeah. Yes. And then they. It, that's where reality TV messes with your head, mm-hmm. because people are on reality TV as a career move are not playing themselves. Mm-hmm. They're in a situation doing something. This was like they were in my world. Right. Recording what was happening mm-hmm. and then trying to change who I was in that world. Right. And take away agency. And they didn't mm-hmm. get that. And it was very irritating. And I was like, but I'm actually an antiques dealer. And out there in the real world, real world, I know what I'm doing. And I've been mm-hmm. doing it for a long time. And I'm not going to be portrayed as someone who is who needs help or someone who is in some way uh, lesser mm-hmm. and that's just has to be that way because this is because i'm a real human yeah. and they were very resistant to that at the beginning mm-hmm. so so when you were out there promoting the show yeah. for the first season or before it came out yeah um, were you advised to wear makeup and to, to no. stand back a little bit there to... well there was an upfront we did an upfront in Chicago, and they flew me and Mike out there at great expense, like first class. And, and explain what an upfront is. Oh, an too. upfront is where the networks uh, they sell their product to mm-hmm. potential uh, advertisers. Sort of showcase. It's very media showcase. Mm-hmm. All the big wigs are there, and they want to fly their stars out, and you you know just shake hands. And so they flew Mike. They flew me and Mike out. And um, we were to step on stage and say, Hi, I'm Mike, and I'm Evan, and we're here from the Science Channel to bring you more. And then they show a clip, and then, so they, great expense, put us up in a great hotel, and we show up, and they're like, okay, here, okay, so you guys are going to walk on stage, and Mike's going to say, welcome to Science New Thing. And then I'm going to say, we have so many new shows for you. And then Mike's going to say this. And they're going to step aside and they're going to show the video and then you guys are going to walk back out on stage. And Mike's going to do all the talking. So I was like, standing there like an idiot. This was in rehearsal. I was like, we step out on stage and he's talking and I'm standing there and they're looking at it going, well, this is, why doesn't she say something? Why don't we, why didn't we ask her to speak? So they gave me some lines to say, and it worked really great. And Mike said, da-da-da, and I said, so welcome to our world of wonder, or something <laughs> stupid like that. And they were, they were like, wow, that really worked out great. And I was like, yeah, I'm glad you flew me out here and gave me more than one sentence. But the way they had envisioned it was the woman wasn't talking. The woman was standing. Hmm. So th- this is what I mean. Like even after you're in the media and you have agency and you're talking about what you do, they still see a woman as like an afterthought. Mm-hmm. It, but that whole thing was so weird that they would go through all this trouble and expense to fly me out there so I could stand yeah. on a stage. Yeah. It was very... To just be an object. To be an object. Yeah. While the man does mm-hmm. the talking mm-hmm. so that's that was again that was a few years ago i hope mm-hmm. it's gotten better in 2010 i don't think it has i don't i don't i don't really think it has but, but that's just like a lesson to i i did reality tv um counseling for years back when it was a little more it's really dribbling down now but back mm-hmm. when everyone was getting a show for free just people i know or people who know people i know i would sit down with them like this and I tell them what to expect and what the contracts were like and sort of just how to handle the whole thing and I I absolutely told women they're gonna they're gonna try to manage you more they're gonna try to dictate to you mm-hmm. they're gonna try to control you more and yeah women yeah. had a lot of issues with that I think, it, I think the it's same is true today with women having to kind of create their own roles if they want to rule on television or Netflix and uh, you know, on film, they have to create that. They have to have a hand in making it happen, or it doesn't. Producing because, it. Yeah, mm-hmm. because there aren't many female directors out there Yes, at all. That, that is true. And, yeah. There aren't as many women, yes, right. di- directing. I don't know why... Oh, that's the big question. Nobody seems to, yeah. No, nobody they, seems to know why. Um, yeah, because well, women go to the movies, you know, women, just as much as men. And 
Yeah. Um, and women are creative and, and women understand, they're sort of more holistic in their approach to things. Yeah. As opposed to like task oriented, women kind of are slightly bigger picturey, mm-hmm. or at least that's my observation of them. Mm-hmm. So I would think they would be good at handling, I mean, they handle kids. They're creators by nature. They are, they are creators and they do the hardest job. Yeah. Which is like a steady managing a family and, and, and detail and schedules for like how yeah. many years? So it, Well, speaking it's of, um, of kids, what were you like as a kid? What were you like growing up? I was a strange kid, as all kids are strange. Mm-hmm. I, I had issues. I was growing up in the 70s, uh, and they didn't have the words they have now for certain kinds of people. I was very introverted. I had OCD like crazy, like uh, turning off the water faucets. Hmm. The water faucets could never be turned off enough. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. it, it, just weird ticks. But I also had something they now call, it's not called sensory input disorder. I sensory integration disorder. Yeah, yeah. Whereas, so I couldn't stand loud noises. I couldn't stand to be touched. I had boundaries and I couldn't stand anything that came through them, including mm-hmm. other people. So I was ex- very sort of isolated, very quiet, super bookish, geeky, mm-hmm. nerdy, and yeah, few I mean, members. today you would likely be classified as on the spectrum. Yeah. I we was, both have children on the spectrum, and yeah, it sounds exactly I was like- totally spectrum-y, but they didn't have that... Not only did they not diagnose it then, they didn't have... They didn't do anything. Mm-hmm. I had no... No therapies. I had zero or... <laughs> therapy, and yeah. there was no medication. Mm-hmm. So I just kind of was a kid. I totally related to animals, which is mm-hmm. why I'm vegetarian and half-assed vegan. Mm-hmm. I love... I totally sympathize and connect with creatures that are vulnerable, mm-hmm. that are in danger from power, from uh, that are bullied, that are victimized. I'm, I, I live with that sense of protection for things and people and I like people who are that way too Mm -hmm. my best friends are like quiet Mm -hmm. (laughs) most of them introverted we don't even have to talk to each other for Mm -hmm. long periods of time yeah and my mother was sort of distressed she's like I don't a a few members of my family have said they thought I might not be able to live independently Mm -hmm. such was my remove from do you think this is your, your what draws you to objects and kind of creating your own world because I know with our children there's a sense of control and um, with your surroundings um, do you think mm-hmm. that maybe falls into yeah. kind of why you ended up doing what you do and, and why you're drawn to dark objects and like you said like um, yes I've given this much thought and there are a couple of different elements uh, to it and there's also like my mother was very sick for most of my childhood and she died when I was young and I how old were you and how old was uh, she 17 okay and she was in her early 50s and she died from cancer which is uh, hereditary and I got that gene Mm -hmm. so I grew up with this knowledge of very heavy mortality I mean she was initially diagnosed before I was even born so that darkness is was there Looming. Even though they didn't talk about it. I, mm-hmm. I, kids pick up on these present, sorts of things. Yeah. So things were very dark. Especially you, a sense of sense, such a sensitive child. Yeah. Probably extra in tune with... Yeah. So, but, you know, being isolated and introverted and sensitive in that situation, you can't protect yourself from the darkness. So you make friends with it. That's the only thing you can do. So I made friends with it. So I live with it. It's like a fish in water that's... That's the world I understand. It's and not. And you also find beauty in that world, right? That's where you yes. feel comfortable. And that's... Yes. There's not not that there's. I don't want to romanticize illness, mm-hmm. but those are the waters I grew up in, mm-hmm. and there's familiar. Yeah, it's it's familiar, and it is what you consider home is what you consider comforting. So to me, that's I find comfort in these things because it's a language find, I speak. Find comfort in darkness. Yeah, that's where you feel it most at home. Exactly. I think we agree. I mean, we, we feel the same way. I think that's why we clicked with you. Um, yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> God. 
goth sisters goth in the realer days. in the realer sense. But it's also an aesthetic thing because I think it is a little spectrumy. You control your, mm-hmm. you control, so it has to be aesthetically perfect. Although yeah. I think a lot of great artists are actually pretty spectrum. I, I mean, I oh, think I, 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 that I think that's yeah we're controlling that's a definite fact. Yeah. We're, yeah. we're all, it's, it, it's not a romantic way to put it. Yeah. But, like, we're all, we all want to be right in that pocket. Yeah. And that takes a lot of work. And, yeah, it, yeah if you could turn that into a career like I did, I got really lucky. Well, you're playing God in a sense. You're creating, creating your own art. You're creating work. You're creating music. You're creating yeah. your you're, surroundings. You're in that space. And yeah. people were a threat. Like, extern, other humans were a threat. I was bullied. I was that freaky little girl. I was skinny and pale and weird and awkward, even in the high school. Mm-hmm. So I was beaten. Like, I, they were antagonized by me because mm-hmm. I was a weird kid, and I didn't care how I looked. I wore a uniform in a school that didn't have one. I was, like, okay. a little... Well, what was your uniform? I mean, you, you just decided... It was like an English were... schoolgirl uniform. And you wore that every day? Not every day. Okay, but, but you on wore occasion. Yeah, I wore men, like, yeah. men's clothing. I did not want to be vulnerable, so mm-hmm. I wore... Yeah, and my and <laughs> that really ticked them off, particularly the boys. Well, they didn't understand it, that's why. They didn't understand you, and they fear what they don't... They fear. Yeah, they reacted in a negative way toward yeah. me. I had some friends, actually, who I'm still friends with. I mean, in high school, I was the punk, and she was the lesbian, and we're mm-hmm. still very good friends. We had a tiny school, and there weren't nearly enough weirdos in it. Mm-hmm. So we were sort of the underground. See, I find this fascinating because she, my sister, we, we, we were the freaks in our town. Mm-hmm. We were from the Appalachian Mountains, and we yeah, were punk, wow. and mm-hmm. no one saw it. You know, we, the, nothing existed prior to us, uh, you know. Mm-hmm doing these things coloring our hair and being in a band and yeah so i'm fascinated with someone who's on their own in the world doing that oh yeah. was we had each other we were a team yeah and so i find Lovely. it fascinating <laughs> and so it's it's just it just really i mean it shows the bravery kind of that you had being authentically yourself and not trying to, like every kid tries to, it's a societal thing where you yeah. try to fit in. I mean, Not only did I not try to fit in, but I, I for survival. I would have, fitting in was failure. Mm-hmm. I did not want any part of anything that anyone else was doing. And I but was, from a young age, that's fascinating, you know, that you felt that way. Yeah, you're definitely hardwired for that, though. Mm-hmm. Like I agree. It's, it's interesting. You're yeah. born with this contrarian... And I was like totally bookish. I grew up inside 19th century novels. And my, my brother was actually, um, he was in the military. He was stationed overseas. So I would, so I spent a lot of time in Germany as a kid, France and Italy. And I got to see the world. And I, that aesthetic, that, you know, um, burnished gilding and old wavy glass, and particularly like the Catholic things and the relics, that was all a part of my youth. And... My mother, for some reason, was obsessed with Northern England. So um, oh. we used to rent a little cold water flat in Yorkshire, and that aesthetic of Northern England was perfection. It clicked. It 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 went with the books I lived inside. Mm-hmm. So that set that became the thing I've been moving toward my whole life. Well, your house weird, looks like yeah. you walk into a novel, a yes. 19th century it, novel. It looks like a set for something. Yes. It, 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 yeah. But it's lived in, but it, mm-hmm. yes, it's sort of like part 19th century novel. It's part, it, there's a lot of science in there, but there's mm-hmm. also, there's a bit of libertine in there. It's sort of, there's a little, there's a lot of sensuality, but also... Mm-hmm rigorous intellect and it that i'm just pulling that from earliest childhood but Mm -hmm. central jersey you didn't there was there weren't you know a lot of relics in central jersey so i was this little kid i was obsessed with world war one i was obsessed with the english aesthetic i was obsessed with oscar wilde i was Mm -hmm. obsessed with all these things in like central jersey in the 70s early 80s there was nothing one thing like that existed in that world you had to create it so, so that's you did. yeah. So I did, and to this day, though, it's it's amazing how that never leaves. I mean, it's not like a phase you go through and you're like, yeah, I did that, and now I'm going to move on to minimalism, <laughs> or you know what I mean? It's yeah. like this is like set in stone. This is who I am. This, this is, is yeah. yeah, and the world is hostile, and the people in it are cruel. 
I love animals. I was always rescuing them. I won't eat them. I, people are cruel to them. And I possibly overread. I know Morrissey has said something like this, which I find very endearing. You kind of, when you're this super introverted and not quite at home, you just relate to the other things that are not quite at home and that are vulnerable, mm-hmm. especially being female. Yeah. So, you know, this it's a carapace. Mm-hmm. You're a snail, and you build that world, and you carry it with you everywhere you go, and it's filled with wax ladies and hair. <laughs> Your wax lady friends. Yeah. Yeah. And they're, yeah, they don't get in I your love space. That. They don't. They don't get in your face. Yeah. But they don't pet you like I do. They don't pet. <laughs> they don't want to hug you. And I don't hug them either. I just mm-hmm. want to be sure that I'm not wandering around talking to them or petting them in any way. I'm aware that they're inanimate objects. (laughs) That's good. But they are very quiet. They're just, they're lovely. Mm -hmm. They're lovely company. Yeah. They're beautiful. They're enigmatic. They are quiet. But, you know, they have the really well-made ones are very mysterious. They have actual expressions that are indecipherable. So it's like having this lovely companion who's always thinking about something that you have to figure out. You know what I mean? They, Mm -hmm. They sort of... It's a good canvas. On well, I feel that. like you pick objects that tell stories, and that yeah, because I feel like you're a storyteller as well by the objects that you pick, and then you pick objects that have their own stories that you're trying to figure out, and it's a beautiful yeah, and you're putting narrative. It, yeah, it's a, it's a narrative, and you you put it together in my home is yeah, it's an ongoing narrative, and mm-hmm. the objects as an antiques dealer they. They speak best when they're in good company. So something that's isolated isn't fully itself until you... Is your husband okay with um, the ladies? My saint of a husband? <laughs> yeah. Who's like an electronic music geek yeah. and guitar player yeah, now. I know and that type. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, you know, introverted, um, very living in a digital world. Mm-hmm. Completely he, opposite to completely opposite to you. He, I've taken over that. I, we live in this little decrepit Victorian, and I've taken over the whole thing. And he, he's he's also a visual artist, but he doesn't care about his surroundings, which okay, I well, really good. super lucked out. Yeah, because if he was like, uh, uh-uh, uh, I'm all about Danish modern, mm-hmm. we'd have a huge problem. <laughs> Could not imagine that. <laughs> but you know, he's cool with it. Yeah, he. He gets it because he's visual and he's an artist. He's yeah. a visual artist, so he, or I should say, he's a graphic artist. So he gets what I'm doing. He appreciates it. It's not his world, mm-hmm. but he's his he world is like music. It. Yeah, it's audio, so it goes together. Really so he well. lets you do your thing, and you let him do his. And I have mm-hmm. to do my thing in all. This is like maybe another spectrumy thing. I can't. No one tells me what to do mm-hmm. ever. Mm-hmm. I don't have bosses. I haven't had a boss since the 80s mm-hmm. and I don't take direction and I'm not a team player I'm very like I just will not let anyone tell me what to do yeah. ever yeah. it's not generally a recipe for success but it worked out in this case yeah and that that's also like inborn just don't don't take it I don't know where that came from yeah. it wasn't my father told me the the key to success is don't work for anyone and don't have anyone work for you that's the Which, second part I need to... Yeah, yeah. so I manage... We, we do have a few uh, employees who are like family. Mm-hmm. But in general, I've managed to actually stick to that. Mm-hmm. To business partners, but there's... It's a fairly independent life. That, a lot mm-hmm. of antiques dealers are like that, by the way. Curmudgeon, you know, yeah. kind of... Um, I don't want to insult anybody. <laughs> but, you know, contrary... Yeah. We, we live in our own, it's like still a market economy, like it's a cash and object existence. Mm-hmm. It's not electronic and, you know, it exists sort of outside mm-hmm. corporate. Amer- so, so, so how many markets do you go to a week? Do you, uh, there you are say? A, hand, a few. A few? I'm going to be very cagey. Mm-hmm. Okay, <laughs> I understand. And we, we will kind of explain why maybe that yeah. there's, it's very competitive, the antique it's extremely um, competitive. It's extremely yeah. competitive, and you're at the top of the field. and In um, my own little tiny mm-hmm. narrow mm-hmm. space, yes. Mm-hmm. It's not like fine antiques people absolutely look down on mm-hmm. what mm-hmm. I do. It, it's really interesting aesthetically. Yeah, it's, 
Yes, it, it's interesting. It, there's a different pecking order in okay. antiques. So there are people who do very high-end cabinet of curiosity stuff and mm-hmm. people who do china or books and formal... It's a whole world. It's every... And antiques is very... Because we're all spectrum-y, so we all live in our spectrums. And like, oh, that yeah. stuff. But so. you, you kind of see the same people that are out there looking at things that you would want. You know who your competition is, kind of, right? Yes. I have more competition as time goes on. When I would I would think so because after the show and yeah. after I mean it's kind of like where we grew up and being in a band was cool. Now it's like having your own little museum is cool these <laughs> days. It seems like to me. Am I right? I mean, would you agree? That time might even be passing. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Like we were sort of all of us. Mm-hmm. We're kind of in that moment, and I think that moment might be passing. Mm-hmm. This aesthetic is eternal. It's the cabinet of curiosities. That aesthetic has existed for six hundred years, and it rises and it falls. Mm-hmm. And we like we were there at the explosion of that. The show yeah. was like oddities was absolutely sort of the peak of yeah. that. And I feel like it's that's going to continue. But what's next? Mm-hmm. I don't know, but yeah, yeah like, I think we. I think the the whole time of the museum was kind of lightning in a bottle. Kind Morbid of. Anatomy was like yeah. boom, yeah, when it had to happen, it yeah, happened it did. right, and it happened the right way and in the biggest way. It, it, it did, yeah, it crystallized and that we moment. We were all very lucky to be, and part it was of that. a community, and it all came together right then, mm-hmm. and then it, it was magic. It was magic. Mm-hmm. It was like all our roads. Collided. Joined mm-hmm. and collided. Mm-hmm. But it's also interesting, like, when the museum ceased to exist, and then David Bowie died, and yeah. then, like, Trump it was won the election. One thing after so, another. like, the world yeah. order we yeah. understood ended, and now there is something else There's, rising. It's something totally different It's right something now. totally different, yeah. and I'm not cool No, I'm, I'm still going through a mourning process of all this happening at once. I'm an intensive therapist. <laughs> Yeah, um, it was we weird though because it mm-hmm. it yeah we all came together through this shared love mm-hmm. and because we all sort of op- live in different parts of the same world mm-hmm. and then everything just exploded at the same mm-hmm. time. Yeah, it, it very like society just Brexit okay. happened like yeah. politics and I, actually I honestly Bowie's death I think was I like think it's a different planet a within rift gone. I in think, time yes. was it not yes that was and the not moment. just talking as a fan but. It, you feel the void. There's a yep. void. It was palpable. Yeah. yeah. It was palpable. It was, and he lived only a few minutes from the store. He was like a, he lived on Fayette Street. He was like a presence. Mm-hmm. And when he died, like everybody, for, I cried for weeks and I wasn't even like, I mean, at points in my life he'd been informative. Mm-hmm. But it, it felt like an element, like air or water had yeah. changed. Yes. Something had been removed. Yes. And people, because I'm in the shop, people would come in, people, old friends I hadn't seen in ages, and just strangers. And we would talk about David Bowie, and everyone Mm -hmm. said the same thing. It's like the earth shifted off. Yeah, and it's not like people really talked about him for the last decade or, you know, whatever. I mean, I I got to meet him in the 90s because of publicity, which was cool, but, and you felt him, you know, when you met him, and he was kind and loving, but. It's not like he was like this big star that right. He'd been you know that that if if he'd gone away, there wouldn't be a you know a, t- a top right. top two album or you know what I'm saying. He wasn't he wasn't, he wasn't, wasn't a, a cultural he wasn't a headlining cultural presence. No, but he was the end there. He wasn't, but it was. But but his final work before anyone knew he was dying. I mean, I was beautiful. obsessed with that album. Profound when he released. Words. That yeah. song and that video in November. Mm-hmm. I remember us talking about That's it. That's right. I was on a loop. You it kept... was. I'd watch it every night before going to bed, and mm-hmm. if I couldn't sleep, I would take an Ambien. So I'd be mm-hmm. on like hypnotics, and I and I just because I'm attuned to dark. We're all mm-hmm. attuned to. He was telling us yes. his final yeah. act is the greatest artistic act I think of our lifetime. I think so. And too. the way I he agree. went out was with was control. With I mean, control. He, had control. he presented he... himself. He inserted mm-hmm. himself back into our consciousness with great art. Mm-hmm. And those videos are like, Lazarus is amazing. And then he left. Mm-hmm. And it was the ultimate. On his own of, terms. On his own terms. Mm-hmm. But that whole, like that last photo of him taken where he's yeah. wearing that hat. Yeah. yeah. So, and laughing. And laughing. Yeah. So as someone who's had multiple cancers, luckily I haven't mm-hmm. 
had that which stage. which is interesting. That's a, the, another thing that you relate to yeah. him on is well, you he battled it a few times. A, I battled it a few times, but he got off his deathbed. I mean, mm-hmm. that was the day before he died. Yeah, and he gave face. Mm-hmm. Who can do that? That's impossible. Like he became grace. He was grace, mm-hmm. and he was theatricality. And the way he went out just kind of sucked the oxygen out of yeah. The lives of weirdos he everywhere. He kind of canonized himself. He did. With that work He's and then of, left. It was the nature of his leaving that, that put the book on onto what he did. Mm-hmm. And yeah. he represents this kind of masculinity and creativity. Which people don't, get, people don't get an opportunity to do all the time is bookend their life and kind of orchestrate. He was sort of like a bodhisattva. Yeah. His timing and his presence in the world. And then, but you know, we're all weirdos. We all live in this alternate, these cultures that were alternative before the internet, and that's what mm-hmm. we grew up in. I had bands when I was a kid. We right, were you were in a, you were, we were thing. kind of on the scene in, in the nineties and yeah. limelight. And that's right. Stuff doing New the York city, scene. and you were in a band called um, Killer Weasel. Right? Killer Weasel was the industrial goth band industrial in the East Village, band. early nineties. It was me and my um, six foot tall opera singing soul sister. And we were an industrial band, that, and our goal was to be more violent, more in your face, and just blow the roof off the joint stronger than any guys. Mm-hmm. Any bros who got together, we were going to... And we were pretty damn good. But my husband joined, <laughs> and then we got a male guitar player. But we did. We were like... Our first song was called Hypatia. <laughs> our... <laughs> I would um, love to see someone at a record label <laughs> trying to market our, our first. But this was like the DIY. Was Hypatia. This was DIY early eighties, yeah, yeah, right? This yeah. was like the cre- This was the. And there were rumors, right, that people had died at the show. Yes, or our very first, at your show first show was at. Co- yes, it was at our college, and we set stuff on fire, and someone had brought um, fireworks, and they set them off in the audience. There's, I don't know if the audio still exists. Um, but there was a lot of smoke and screaming and people crying in the bathroom and word got around to Chicago when we, that's where my husband's from, when we were hanging out there, I was like, oh my God, people died at that show. And I was like, that's the ultimate. Yes. Back in those innocent times. Legend. Right. Back in the innocent times. You could, when that was okay. When it was a fine. Because it was word of mouth. It was word of, it was, yeah. One person telling about marketing. Yeah, and then we became um, Fractured Cylinder, which was cyberpunk. Mm-hmm. And That's we were, what, with we were, Johnny, right? With Johnny. Johnny. I was mm-hmm. with Johnny. We were big in France. Um, <laughs> or we, the French got us. <laughs> and then uh, we became a fetish band uh, called Otakon and Yab Yum. And we played um, with Chris Smack, who is the guy who ran the Party Smack, which is sort of the fetish party in New York. Mm-hmm. So um, it was a really interesting musical life. See, it just, it fascinates me. You weren't a fetish band. Mm-hmm. You wore corsets. Yeah. You, you know, it's like to, to, to speak with you, it doesn't add up. Do you know what I'm saying? Like you were an introvert, you're an introvert, oh. and here you are making <laughs> stage, the loudest music screaming. you can in a corset, screaming. Yeah, Johnny and I would had a song called Wrestle Dance where we'd wrestle together on stage. Yes. Oh. But a lot of performers are introverts. Mm-hmm. Because it's your world they are entering. I'm right. setting. You're controlling. This that. is, yeah. Yeah. On stage, I was sort of, I had a dom. I was sort of dom on stage. Mm-hmm. I have some photos of this, like the leather cap and the PVC, and I was like the ice queen. We'll put some on the website for yeah. the listeners. Yeah, absolutely. You just—I think you just posted one. You can I posted follow, one. You can not follow that long Evan ago. on um, Facebook and Instagram, and you're on Twitter, but not really, right? I avoid Twitter. Yeah, Twitter it's is too much like being in a crowd of people. All that incoming sensory overload. Yeah, I can't. I'm not. It is sensory. Yeah, so I can't tweet. Although anyone. people keep following me anyway. I, I, I tweeted one line like four years ago. And that <laughs> wow. was it. Yeah. But uh, people still... Twitter reminds me of like playing double dutch. You know, the jump ropes. And you mm-hmm. have to find a, the right time to jump in. Yes. And jump yes. out. And I can't... It. It's too much. You guys are very super I'm good at really, social media. Not always, really. I'm not. Tweeting, Instagramming. No. I'm not, I, I don't really tweet anymore. I don't like I really tweet. I, I read yeah. a lot on Twitter. Yeah. Um, I like it's reading headlines. Reading. Yeah, it's and great for the chaotic breaking news world in which we live. But it's too and much, it's, and it's it's breaking 
constantly. Yes. I mean, I can't see I can't see following it any any other way other than Twitter following the world. Oh, I I I have a way of following the world that is not Twitter, but it's uh, it's online. Mm-hmm. It's a community mm-hmm. that does great job with breaking news. Mm-hmm. It's a political site mm-hmm. that I've been on for ever. What is it? It's called Lanquette, and I highly recommend it. It's a mommy blog, and it. It's it's like a mommy blog and a political website, and it's filled with like the funniest, smartest mm. people you could ever. I think Rachel Maddow called it the best website in the world recently. Mm. Okay. It's you guys would love it. I'll check it's it super out. Super awesome community, very funny. It's all about like everyone knows Monty Python and Blackadder. Oh, it's very very sophisticated, funny people, and that's a lot of. It's just a good feed. It's my room. When I go online, that's sort of the room mm-hmm. I enter. Okay. And filter, it's not. Yeah, you'll if you check it out. It's a very very okay. cool site. But um, yeah, I don't like social media at all because it's like putting yourself out. Mm-hmm. Uh, actually, an introvert said the other day. She said, "I don't make friends with people. I let them make friends with me," which sounds awful and haughty. But mm-hmm. I got. I've never heard it put that way. Mm-hmm. It's like actually, we don't reach in to other people's conversations. I won't call you, not because I'm not yeah, thinking about you or right. don't love you. Yeah. But because to me, reaching in, that's a violation. Mm-hmm. Because even after all these years of being a mature adult, I still can't get in the head of someone. Right. Of like an extrovert. Yeah, I mean, we, we, we hate the phone. And, and I yeah, remember I, our first uh, apartment, um, we would not answer the door. Like, we would yeah. hide. We would hide in our own that's apartment. That's When someone knocked on our door. It was terrifying. So, we get you. We're surfing your wave, sister. Um, yeah. Yeah. That's... I never thought about doing that with someone else. See, that's yeah. See, that's the thing. Being alone together, partner. You do it. No, you do it. <laughs> yeah, no, we're in the door. No one's. I don't know if that's better or I got worse. It last time. Yeah. Because at least with time. being solitary, I'm very quiet. Mm-hmm. I have a half brother who's much older, so mm-hmm. like when I was alone, I was alone, and it yeah. felt good. It still does. Yeah. That's interesting. Not yeah. to think about introverted twins. Introvert. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's, difficult. it's a difficult dynamic. I know. Yeah. We're, we're a loner duo. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That is like, I'm going to have to give that further thought. I'll have to see if there's any scientific journal uh, entries on that. I just don't feel like I am with I somebody feel, I don't with feel you. you're a person. Yeah. yeah. I don't feel like she's I'm, a separate person. Yeah. So it's like, I, if if she gets embarrassed in public, I'm, I'm equally embarrassed, yeah. even if I'm not there. Right. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, I t- like if I if my phone rings and it's her, I get it. Mm-hmm. If my phone rings as anybody else on the mm-hmm. planet, that's nice. I don't yeah. get it. I, I I don't know if it's nice. It's, it's <laughs> it just, just is. Like the we way feel like is. we're the same person, so I don't I don't know. Wow. Anyway, but um, so you you you've done you've you do lectures on goth. I you well I did done. a goth lecture called "You Can't Kill Me, I'm Already Dead." And so Which what we, I had great time. I brought that on the road great. a yeah. little bit. Did, Did you, you? You enjoyed it. I loved it. I loved your doll, the doll, the Morticia Adams doll. Oh, which yeah. Which I still covet, that doll. I was trying to connect goth to a long history. To it. I was trying to connect it to art movements and literary movements. I don't know if I succeeded. You succeeded. I take yeah, it seriously. Because there are, a lo- there are not what a lot. What is serious? But, but there are some people out there... Trying to do that, I think, to mm-hmm. giving lectures on goth who are maybe way younger than when it actually happened, and so yes. your lecture to me felt authentic because we like, were all there. Yes, yeah. I, I mean, I was right. I was in college in the early '80s in New York. Yeah, I mean, you I mean were that there. isn't you were yeah, there. Yeah, that isn't the West Coast goth though. That's a whole different thing. Mm-hmm. But like, or I'm UK goth or UK goth. But I was. I had a fanzine with two girls in the UK. Me and a friend here in New York had a fancy with two girls in the UK in like 1982. Like zine. And and so we... Do any of those exist? Alas, no. Alas, no. We did interviews for... I interviewed like Mark Almond and Dave Ball and U2 before they were famous. Like it was sort of the name of the fancy? It has to be a great name. I can't. I'm sorry. I can't remember. Okay. It's that is too far in the in the distant past. And I, I, the woman I did it with, I haven't seen her since. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, Maybe she remembers the name of it. Okay. But it was like a bunch of introverts trying to get stuff done, like in two different countries. Didn't 
didn't work out very well. But you know, like we were in the scene back then. Without was, wanting to talk on the phone. Yeah. Or communicate in any and way. And there wasn't an internet. <laughs> And you're like trying to lay things out and it yeah. just, I don't think, it, it didn't really go very far. Mm -hmm. But we were like in that epicenter. That was when it was happening. I mean, yeah. like I ran away before college and we, we ran away to London with not enough money or in no plans. So we would just sort of hang out outside um, the goth clubs. And, you know, I made money on tourists who thought, because I, I was a goth in England in the early 80s, like 82, 83. And so you'd make your dosh by standing on the street and tour American tourists would take pictures of me, which is very funny. And I put on a fake accent and it was, that's so bratty and awful. But you know what I mean? Yeah, like yeah, that yeah. was a good, and I'd be on King's Road and actually Polly Styrene, who many listeners may yeah. remember. She you was an awesome X-ray specs, mm -hmm. right girl, early, early woman who yeah. out loud and proud, just fierce feminist. Mm -hmm. Um, Bondage Up Yours was their big hit. So she actually tried to, she was, um, she had an ashram at that point, and she was like, oh, you've got to get out of this lifestyle. You've got to get out really? of this lifestyle. Come to the ashram, clean yourself. This is no way, punks go, you know, goth is not. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, so she tried to save my soul. Yeah. I tried to save my soul. Wow. I was, and I was like story. so in awe. I don't. Yeah. <laughs> well, speaking of the great story, um, we would like our guests to share like the strangest story that they can, re you know, recall about either um, doing what they do, collecting in your case, or I think that kind of that might <laughs> be your story. Yeah, you know, collecting isn't strange. It's my business. Mm -hmm. I don't have a strange collecting story. It's Maybe that you wouldn't view as strange. Yeah, it's someone else. it's pretty straightforward. Um, <laughs> yeah, music was a lot stranger. Mm -hmm. There was I can give you a music anecdote. Okay. So this was Fractured Cylinder, and it must have been around nineteen. It was it was it was the twentieth century, I believe, which is crazy. Uh, I actually I I can't remember the year, but um, we we were quite small New York City outfit. And um, we didn't know what we were doing, but we were quite good. I was very proud of what we did. I, I really liked our music. And we had um, a road manager, a tour manager, who was not very professional. None of us were very professional. And they sort of booked us on this tour through the Midwest. And I, I knew nothing. Of, I, I hate the business. I've distanced myself from it. And so I didn't ask any questions. And neither, apparently, did anybody else. So... The tour ended up in Kalamazoo, Michigan. And they said, you're booked to play this little theater. And we unloaded all our stuff. And we walked into this little theater that was, they had the stage set for Salome. And they're like, you can, this is the stage, but don't take down the set. Because this is their theatrical production. It's very important. To them. Yeah, you play in front of it. Right, or yeah. you play in the set of Salome, yeah. and I was like, cool, mm -hmm. I'm an Oscar Wilde person, I get it. Mm -hmm. And the people who met us when we were unloading our equipment were very eccentric. And they were like, touching me and tugging on our sleeves, and they were like, take us back with you. Take us back to New York. And we're like, wow, Michigan's an interesting town. And as they, and then there was someone running around with a sword, as I remember, and another woman who was undressing herself very slowly in this little theater. And they were like, oh, by the way, we don't have a sophisticated sound system. So you're basically gonna have to, you're your own, you're your own sound system. You're your own amps is that's, we're like, well, that's, that's odd. Um, maybe uh, we'll have to modify our set a little bit. Maybe we'll do like some metal cover. Maybe we'll play a little Black Sabbath. Maybe we'll. So we're like playing Black Sabbath and the set of Salome and the audience is going berserk. They're hooting and they're running back and forth and they're touching themselves. And what we had discovered later was that this was, I think it was an outpatient facility for their local... Um, mental hospital hmm. so this was like part of their like the cramps the yeah cramps. this was, was like pre-cramps 
This no, we were post cramps. Oh, okay. All hell. Yeah. All hell of cramps. But like that was one of the weirdest because we didn't know. Yeah. Nobody told we us. Signed up for that. It. I think that's very you cool. Didn't yeah. ask. Yeah. To be fair. I didn't. <laughs> and I. I think it's very cool. Yeah. And I'm really oh, yeah. happy. That's like a great audience yeah. because you're stimulating them. But yeah. nobody told us, so I got to, I got to Michigan where I'd never been before. Yeah, and we're playing a set of Salome, and we're doing Black Sabbath covers, and people are begging us to take us home with them. And I'm like, the, Michigan's a fun place. Kalamazoo is one hell. Sure, you can come home with. And us. that was one of the weird, most surreal nights I've ever had. <laughs> That's a great story. Um, very strange and great. Um, and we also ask about a strange throwback to hmm. a woman that maybe inspired you to do what you do or to kind of follow your own path. Inspirational woman. Mm-hmm. I'm going to be very unoriginal and say my mother. Okay. Um, although she died when I was a kid and I hadn't yet woken up when she died. I was still sort of locked in. So it was a very difficult process, but my memories of her, or to describe her uh, in shorthand, I will say that she had two obsessions. She, she was madly in love with Peter Sellers, the comedic English mm-hmm. actor who did um, broad comedy mm-hmm. and was wacky and insane, and he played uh, the Pink Panther, most people remember. And she was madly in love with Erasmus of Rotterdam, who was the 16th century (laughs) Catholic theologian and humanist scholar. Wow. So that was who she was. Okay. So that tells, that speaks volumes. Yeah, she did very early work on Virginia Woodhull, who was the first woman to run for president. She was, I believe, working on something with, possibly with PBS. And this was before, I mean, she was doing really early work with, so she was this... How dynamic is that? Yeah. She was always seeking. She was a, and she was in love with beauty. So, and she walked her own path. She was an unusual person. Although I, I was so locked in. I, you know, I yeah. was not only was I a kid, and your early teens are crappy mm-hmm. for, but oh, yeah. you don't want to be a part yeah. of them. You know, so it, it was very bad timing. Yeah, she loved museums. My pictures of her are her sort of looking at beautiful things and thinking about them. So, wow, that's what a what a great role model. Yeah, that is. perfect, perfect. Well, thank you for joining us. We could talk to you um, for the next three days if you're available. But okay. I'm guessing you're <laughs> not. Food and you're running a shop. <laughs> yes, yeah, always. Food okay, and I'll work for food. Okay, sounds right. Um, but thank you. Thank you so much. No, and, thank you. Um, you can follow Evan on Instagram at... Evan uh, Obscura on Instagram. And Facebook. And Facebook. On both of those. Not yeah. so, not Twitter so much. Not No, I might tweet in the future. Okay. Well, stay, stay tuned. tuned. You might want to yeah. follow for that, for that development to be on top of <laughs> if that. If I can get the right pattern going, yeah. I'll do it. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you.